Hey, this is Dan, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast where I talk legal stuff with lawyers that I know, like, and trust. I hope you find the information really useful, and if you need legal help, that you reach out to one of these lawyers directly or drop by lawbydan.com, and I can steer you in the right direction. Here is your podcast. It's likely you've heard of the term a prenup, but now in Australia, these things are often referred to as a binding financial agreement, and the burning question often asks, is do they actually work? Well, to find out, I'm with Georgia Walker, a law graduate at Coots. Firstly, Georgia, what is a binding financial agreement? So a binding financial agreement is an agreement that can be entered into by a couple before, during or after their marriage to set out what will happen with their property and financial resources in the event that they do separate. And these sorts of agreements can also cover issues such as spousal maintenance and child support. And like you said, they're also commonly referred to as a, pe- a, sorry, a prenup, a financial agreement or a relationship agreement. Okay, and so is it the case that, you know, people who consider these things primarily consider them as almost like an insurance policy, that if the relationship breaks up, then their assets are somewhat quarantined from a uh, property settlement? Is, is that what the objective is? Yeah, it kind of depends at what stage of the relationship um, the parties enter into these sorts of agreements. So it can be entered, entered into before a marriage or de facto relationship to cover what will happen with the property of the parties if the relationship does go south. Um, and these tend to be more common amongst parties with larger than average asset pools. So, you know, think mansions and Range Rovers and family trusts and things like that, where one person in the relationship might have assets that they want to protect in the event that the relationship doesn't work out. So agreements entered into at this stage before the relationship or before the marriage, um, they're also known as prenups. So they might stipulate, for instance, that one party keeps properties A, B and C if they separate and then the other party has no claim against them. However, agreements entered into at these sorts of early stages can sometimes be difficult to enforce later on, especially as circumstances can change during a relationship. So they might have kids or the asset pool might be substantially larger or smaller a few years down the track. Um, During a relationship, a binding financial agreement can pop up where one party may receive a large amount of money, such as an inheritance or workers' comp claim. And yeah, it's basically used in those circumstances to protect that money from being subject to a claim by the other party later on in the event they do separate. So at Coots, what we probably see the most is um, binding financial agreements after a marriage or long-term relationship has broken down. So the parties have separated and they want to divide up the asset pool on a final basis. Right. Okay. Now, I mean, given that uh, these things can be quite sensitive, I'm, I'm thinking particularly, you know, the pre-sort pre of relationship and during the relationship types of BFAs, is there any recommendations that you have about how that topic is broached with the other party and, and when it should be broached? I'm assuming that, you know, this is a topic that you don't want to really raise, you know, three days before the wedding. No, and it is, like you said, it is a bit of a sensitive topic and obviously when you are entering into a relationship with someone, you're not really wanting your mind to go to the fact that, oh, we might break up in, you know, the next year or two years or 10 years. So it is a difficult topic to broach for people for sure, but I think if um, definitely in circumstances where there are 
quite extensive assets of one party or they might have multiple properties or businesses and things like that. You know, it's important to be realistic. Um, people do can and do separate. So even though it is a sensitive topic, I'd recommend just sitting down with your partner and, you know, having an open discussion about it and just saying, look, if things were to go south, um, you know, I want something in place to protect what I had coming into the relationship. Um, and, you know, you might be able to work something out that's mutually agreeable because with these sorts of agreements, there's no real um, limitations or restrictions on what you can do. It's basically what both parties come to the table and agree on. Okay. So now, practically speaking, uh, let's say, uh, you know, a couple has separated and they're considering a, a binding financial agreement post separation what does that look like and how, how is that any different from you know say a couple going down the path of a, a property settlement or, or whatever the case might be through litigation yep so with um, binding financial agreements like I said there's no real limitations or restrictions on them because they are outside of the jurisdiction of the family court so the family court of Australia and the federal circuit court um, so that basically means that the usual steps the court might might sorry, that the court must take when determining what is just and equitable in making an order for property settlement doesn't necessarily apply when it comes to binding financial agreements. So that means that there's a lot of flexibility with um, what the parties can agree on. However, there is a higher level of risk involved because um, it is outside that court jurisdiction. So essentially the parties will come together and obviously um, reach an agreement on how they want things divided up. So just say you've got a couple and the wife wants to buy the husband out of the property and, you know, have a cash settlement figure worked out. Um, so with a agreement such as this, they have to um, meet several requirements under the Family Law Act. So first of all, the agreement has to be in writing and signed by both parties. And then obviously the parties have to be married or uh, de facto at one point in time, or if it's before a relationship, they have to be contemplating a marriage. Then there has to be a statement from each person attached to the agreement um, and that each person has to say in that statement that they received independent legal advice on the advantages and disadvantages of the agreement before they signed it. So after that, either before or after signing, each party also has to get a signed statement from a legal practitioner certifying that that advice um, with respect to their rights and advantages was given and also the signed statement from each legal practitioner has to be given to the other side and also um, there must also be a declaration in the agreement that the parties have separated unless they've gotten a divorce. So the key takeaways really with these sorts of agreements is that they have to be in writing and signed by both parties. Both parties need to get independent legal advice. And it doesn't have to be formally registered or lodged with any court. It simply just has to satisfy the requirements under the Family Law Act for it to be binding. Now, I can see why there's probably couples uh, that, that have separated that are contemplating a binding financial agreement and they're attracted to it because it's outside that family law jurisdiction. I mean, it sounds like it sort of falls under, you know, contract law. Um, but that said... I'm sure also that it's very, very important to get legal advice on this before you, you sort of download a BFA or a binding financial agreement from the internet and, and choose to do it yourself. Yeah, 100%, mainly because there are some risks involved and I know a lot of solicitors are hesitant to um, draft these sorts of agreements up for people just because there's no 
usual requirement for financial disclosure. So generally, you know, in family law proceedings or if you were to do the property settlement through consent orders with the local court, both parties have to um, give full and frank financial disclosure to the other. So there can be some circumstances where these sorts of agreements are signed and one party might be hiding assets or money in a separate bank account that the other party is not aware of and they end up being at a significant disadvantage um, that they wouldn't have been if they had gone through the more traditional processes. So in those sorts of circumstances, um, it is always important and you do have to get advice before it can be binding as that's a requirement under the Family Law Act. But if things do go wrong, they can be brought before a court and overturned or set aside if it's um, unfair to one party or, you know, neither party received proper legal advice, things like that. Okay. Now at Cooch, you've got a strong family law team there. So uh, obviously uh, people who are considering these things should reach out. Yeah, 100%. So if you're thinking about, you know, entering into a binding financial agreement to protect your assets at the early stage of a relationship, or if you've recently separated and want to sort out your finances with your spouse, or, you know, if your spouse has recommended a binding financial agreement to you, then we would definitely suggest coming to us for some legal advice on the advantages and disadvantages of an agreement, um, obviously relevant to your specific circumstances. And we can also explore with you what your other options are when it comes to property settlement and issues like spousal maintenance and child support that don't really go along with that too. Georgia, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on all social channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube with the handle Law by Dan, or simply drop by lawbydan.com. Thanks.